It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Hi, I'm Teresa. And I'm Amy. We are two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. Before I dive deep into my person for the week, I found a great story about a man using his fitness level for good. Frank Rothwell. Have you ever heard of him? I have not heard of him, no. So he is a 70-year-old man who completed a 3,000-mile journey across the Atlantic to raise money for Alzheimer Research UK. Apparently, the the 3,000 trek that he he rode is called the Taliski Whiskey Atlantic. I'm probably not pronouncing that right, but it is known as the world's toughest road. Wow. And this guy's 70. Yeah. So he left the Canary Islands on December 12th. And I I, I was reading the story, and I'm just like, why would you leave on December 12th? It's before Christmas. The weather, I would think. And be. he's been married for 50 years. I mean, he's got a family. I'm like, why are you leaving? But anyway, that's by whatever reason. And so he left on December 12th, and he rode in two-hour shifts. So he would row for two hours, and then he would sleep for two hours until he reached Antigua. And I'm probably totally mispronouncing all of these, but it was 56 days that he was at sea rowing at 70. Oh, 70. my goodness. Did he have a – what was the – did he have a crew? Of no. No, it was just totally him. He trained for 18 months, which was over a year. Yeah, I read that he felt that he like he was in his forties wow. with his physical with the physical aspect. Did you, which would you find out what prompted him to go do this? Just he was already an adrenaline junkie, but his brother in law has Alzheimer's, and so he was inspired by his brother in law. Unfortunately, when he was on his trek, his brother in law passed, which oh. it will come, and it's super sad, but. That's what inspired him to to do this whole thing from the beginning. So he he trained for 18 months and packed all of his own supplies. So a lot of times these people have a support crew, which, yeah, but he did not. While he was being, he could be tracked along the way and he got messages, whatnot, from his wife and from. That's nice. Some encouragement. From fans. But besides that, he had no support whatsoever. The cause was super dear to his heart because he, his brother-in-law had Alzheimer's. And like I said, when he was on the mission, he had heard that he had passed at 62. Oh, I love, I love that. My my mom had Alzheimer's for 11 years. It's a brutal disease. Yeah. So he just, this was dear to him and... The feat itself is impressive, just making the 3,000 miles in the Atlantic. But also impressive was that he was the oldest person to row 3,000 miles unassisted. That's Um, incredible. I I do want to note that someone else in 2020 had made that journey, 72. But it was discounted because he... Something with his vessel happened, and so he had to be ro- he had to be towed back in. So he didn't quite make the three thousand mile journey, but I mean it's it had been done before, but not quite the same. 
Frank Rothwell definitely loves a challenge. He had sailed his yacht around the world between 2000 and 2003. I'm assuming he took his wife. Because yeah. he said that the biggest fear for him was going to be the loneliness on the journey mm-hmm. and that he was going to miss his wife. And I'm like, Bet. I can't well, imagine. No. Yeah. And that you're leaving around Christmas. Yeah. That's love for you. <laughs> I know. So support. Uh, <laughs> he climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in 2006 and he spent five weeks with Bear Grill. At 66, he went on a show called The Island. And he spent five weeks surviving, basically, on the island. And he rode in a boat that he he named Never Too Old, (laughs) which I think is telling. So while I'm amazed with the physical aspect of all of this, super impressive, I'd say the real winner in all of this is the Alzheimer's research with the UK. Because he raised, so far, like $1.37 million toward research. He finished a week ahead of schedule, probably because he was so excited to see his wife. I just think it's a great example of ordinary people spreading awareness with Alzheimer's and dementia and taking on a challenge that can change things. His motto was that you're never too old, which, of course, I love. And he... He tweeted about it the whole way, and obviously he kept... Oh, that's cute. He kept tabs along the way. It took him 1.5 million oar strokes. Wow, so he kept track. <laughs> he did. He had like a... I, I think there was, there was an app or something. Yeah. And he had 500,000 freeze-dried calories, which I can't even imagine what a real meal would have tasted like after enduring that. 46 miles a day. He had eight, ten tubs of pseudo cream, which I guess is like, because this was UK, like diaper rash ointment, which must be like monkey paste or or something that we would use here. Uh, Is that just from sitting or for your hands? Probably a combination of both. It has a little bit of, it has some antiseptic in it. And it reminds me of like maybe Neosporin. Or like Glide, where uh, it, it says that it's like a diaper rash cream. Okay. <laughs> I think it just was from the friction. He just had to keep applying that. He also tweeted that, and I love that he's 70. And he's tweeting. And, and tweeting. Yeah. Because I don't tweet. Uh, but that after the, uh, it was 800 sheets of toilet paper. What? Yeah. That's during Which, COVID. <laughs> We were, no one here in the space could, could have, have any coat, you know, could have toilet paper. So I, I just thought that was a cute story. Bittersweet because yeah. obviously he lost his brother-in-law, but $1.37 million toward Alzheimer research in the UK is admirable. Pretty amazing. Yeah. We're still celebrating Earth Month. Yay. Um, and it's so funny, the weird things from your childhood that you remember. One of the strangest memories I have when I was a kid growing up and my parents hid me under a blanket in the back of my aunt and Aww. uncle's van yeah. going to the drive-in. And I don't know if it's because the movie was rated R <laughs> or if it was at a time where you paid you know, per head and so they were trying to get a deal. Right. But either way, I know my mom will... Be, well, hate that I remember that because she is she's where I got my rule following. Right. Yeah, you're a rule follower. Yeah, yeah, and I got that from my mom. But in fact, to the point where when my parents got a hot tub, the the note on it said, "Never go hot tubbing alone. Yeah. Always, you know, have company." So when it had that warning, 
she followed it. Like if no one else was home, my mom was not in the No, no relaxing yeah. for mom. No, exactly. <laughs> but um, there was probably a good reason to have that warning with the movie that they took me to. Yeah. Was Jaws. Oh. And I scared not, everybody. <laughs> it, it did. And, it, you know, that's why it's known as a horror movie. But when I talk about it having a warning, I'm not referring to the skinny dipping scene in the opening or even the bloody scenes. The mere subject matter alone is serious cause for warning. Right. I right. was on swim team at the time, oh. and I remember trying to swim extra fast in the deep end because yeah. just in case. I know. And I'm sure, I'm sure in my, you know, I think I was less than second grade, but I'm sure in that brain, I knew that sharks didn't live in chlorinated water. Right. But just in case. I know. You never know. And I could hear the music in my head, and no matter what, I just have Steven Spielberg to thank for that, <laughs> that fear, but... Also, when my brother was participating in the escape from Alcatraz, Alcatraz Triathlon. Oh, wow. Where they swim from the island. Oh, my gosh. First off, it's too cold for me. I would never yeah. never do it just based on that. But it is also, they do have sharks in that water. Right. Yeah. Um, but they sent out a reminder the week before the event with a warning about the sharks that had been seen, that had been spotted in the bay. Just as a warning. And... I can safely say, yeah, does not appeal to me at all, that triathlon. But um, I had teased him that you better make sure you swim in the middle of the pack. Don't swim in the front. Right. right. Don't swim in the back. You don't want to get picked off you by the shark. The yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Safety he, and numbers. <laughs> that's what I thought. But he was like, sharks come, you know, they come from underneath with the surprise attack. So it's, it's kind of making me nervous. Yeah, exactly. But he reminded me the great whites often come up from the bottom and... And I know that sharks don't like humans, but still, anytime I'm swimming in an area where I might be confused as their prey, right? I can't help but hear that music. John Williams, yeah, yeah, in my head. So sharks definitely are scary, but they're extremely important part of our ocean ecosystem. As an apex predator, they help maintain the natural balances of the ocean. They're the top of the food chain and are responsible for making sure other fish populations don't grow out of control. Fierce hunters, they prey on other fish populations. Without sharks, certain fish populations can get out of check and consume too many other resources like seagrass and coral reefs. As an example, in North Carolina, the shark population was devastated by the fishing industry. Hmm. I know. Yeah. With the decrease in sharks, I think so many people look at sharks and they're scared of them and so they don't think it's a big deal for them to be killed. It's like a pit bull. You yeah. know what I mean? People, people yeah. when they look at that type of animal. Which is sad because right. pit bulls can be the sweet. I mean, it depends on how they're human, how they're right. raised. Right. So it's, yeah, very, once again, it's just educating people. But um, the shark population was devastated by the fishing industry. And with the decrease in sharks, the ray population increased substantially. Yeah. So the rays ate all the bay scallops in the area. And once those, once they ate those, they moved on to other bivalves, which then led the shellfish industry to being shut down in the area. This but you do not think of that impact, you know? No, because it seems so, I mean, it, it doesn't seem that big, like that big a deal, right. but clearly it is. It happens in other biospheres as well. The loss of an apex predator causes harm to underlying species that grow out of control and overwhelm the area's resources. This can cause all kinds of linked damage down the food chain. And, right. you know, we're involved with that. So yeah. with the industry, you know, different industries that rely on that, definitely affected. Sharks even play a role in slowing climate change, which is what part of why. Yeah, that's curious. They um, keep populations of sea turtles and dugongs down. Okay. Those two species are very effective at eating seagrass. 
So uncontrolled populations of sea turtles and dugongs could wipe out large swaths of seagrass, which are essential in converting CO2 into oxygen. The loss of these underwater seagrass fields would lead to significant increase in CO2, thus speeding along the global warming, the climate change. Yeah. Yeah. So sharks play an important role in nutrient cycling. Many species of sharks migrate. Some sharks even migrate over thousands of miles. While they move, they go to the bathroom. And uh, this is an important way to spread micronutrients around the ocean. This helps improve the overall health of the ocean environments. Wow. Sharks have been great for the ecotourism industry. Obviously, yeah. according to the Forbes magazine, the shark tourism industry in the United States alone is a $315 million a year industry. Wow, I have no clue. Well, I think people like me are just very curious right. about this creature. And while we might have a fear of them, we they're just very, we're intrigued by them. It's created 10,000 jobs and serving over half a million tourists. That can bring in even more money for surrounding hotels, restaurants, and other tourism businesses. In the Bahamas, a single live shark left in the wild is estimated to bring in $250,000 into the local economy over the life of the shark versus $50 when the angler catches him. And that's it. Finally, there is a lot we do not understand about sharks. They have some fairly unique physical properties and seem to be very resilient to disease which is interesting. Sharks may inspire the next generation of medicines, giving us ways to combat serious human disease. Dr. Mahmoud Shivki of Nova Southeastern University Shark Research Center says, now try saying that. Oh my goodness. Just a few times. That's a mouthful (laughs) right there. Using genomics approaches to understanding their immunity, Genesis is likely to produce many more exciting discoveries, some of which could potentially translate into human medical benefits. Now we have another important reason to make sure we don't lose these marvelous yeah, for sure. and ecologically critical animals to overfishing as is currently occurring in many parts of the world. We've just scratched the surface in terms of learning what these ancient animals can teach us, as well as possibly provide us in terms of direct biomedical benefits. So as we've already seen in the limited podcast that we've done, education is the key. Oh, for sure. There are a number of scientists navigating that path, but I came across a woman who's doing it in a more unconventional way. With 26 years of diving experience, Christina Zanato started a 501c3 nonprofit called People of the Water, POW. It's kind of a fun, fun acronym. They focus on changing people's concepts of our aquatic world with education and exploration. Obviously, conservation is a big key, too. They offer trainings, conduct research, and educate matter related to the ocean and environmental issues impacting people and animals. Christina became a professional diver in 1994, and she shares her knowledge of the oceans, sharks, caves, and scuba diving on a daily basis just for her work in the Bahamas. She's in the Women's Divers Hall of Fame, the Explorers Club, the Oceans Artist Society, and Platinum Pro 500 that's Recipient, awesome. yeah, she has all sorts of of awards. She believes that, according to her, knowledge is power, and through knowledge we can conquer and defeat unfounded fear to better connect to our oceans and our environment and strive to live in a mutual benefit, which I think is yeah beautiful. Christine is also an experienced cave diver, which is a very specialized and extremely dangerous type of scuba diving. Imagine being 40 feet underwater in the dark, floating inside a sealed cave that has changing currents where you can run out of room in an instant. 
Claustrophobia. I know, I'm I know. sorry. Sounds like another one of my worst nightmares. That's what I'm picturing. Or, yeah. I, I picture eels. Can, yeah. And I, I'm creeped out by eels. If you get lost, you might run out of air. And seriously, one of my worst nightmares. Right. Christina not only does this on a regular basis, she's responsible for mapping out several underwater cave systems in the Bahamas. She uses those maps as a basis to get the caves protected wildlife area status by the Bahama government. Oh, so very that's cool! Really cool. The Bahamas government has committed to expanding its protection area by twenty percent. They said by twenty twenty, and I'm not sure how that has reflected with COVID and everything. But right. interested parties must put plans together for the protection, which includes mapping for underwater cave systems. Caves have their own ecosystems. As there's little light, in some places it's total darkness and less oxygen. This means that there's far less food and more limited species that can live in this condition. And, you know, most of them can't be found anywhere else besides these caves. The caves are home to dozens of different types of microbe species, rare crustaceans, and a few rare fish species. These ecosystems are just starting to be studied and they're very susceptible to pollution. Christina's work is important in the protection of these delicate systems. I'm impressed with all of her accomplishments for sure. That's why I started with those. But the thing that drew me to Christina Zanano, because originally I wanted to do, do uh, Eugenie Clark, who yeah. was the shark lady. Okay. She got people, and I'll do her in the future, but it was Christina Zanano's genuine love and appreciation for sharks. Some call her the shark whisperer, Aww. others call her the shark dancer. But regardless of the name, this woman has a special bond with the amazing apex creature, and it definitely appears to be mutual. I watched a, a bunch of the videos, and people should get on and, and look up just Christina Zanotto and her YouTube It's stuff. just such an unusual, I mean, thing to connect with and to go for something that I ever, a lot of people find so scary. Yeah. Well, and just how she pets them, and, like, she talks about them coming in, and just, she'll turn around, and somebody's just kind of rubbing up against her stomach, because they want a little attention. So, it's really a beautiful... It sounds like like our dogs. I know! It's like this connection that is just, you don't picture with sharks, but, but she's found it. She's removed 300 hooks from shark jaws. So I was pretty impressed with all that, but after I letting... I just have to say, did she gotten any wounds from that? <laughs> I don't know. My, my husband was watching. Maybe she yeah. say. Um, she puts on the chain metal. Okay. So she's... And, and it ta- it's a process. Yeah. They don't come right in and, and do it. She works up and, and gains their trust. And she was talking about they swim off, and then later they'll have a new shark that she hasn't seen before come okay. in that kind of needs help. So it is. she feels like they do communicate more than we give them credit for. So it's yeah. just, just understanding intriguing. what that yeah, communication trying to, is. Trying to figure it out. But is letting that sink in, I just can't imagine putting my hand in there. And, and it definitely takes some skill, but it especially requires patience. Sometimes it takes her a week to earn enough trust wow. to reach her hand. I mean, she says her hand, but it, you watch the videos and it's like her, it's she's her a, a petite yeah. woman and her arm is going down the jaw to remove this hook. And I love that she's named many of the sharks. You know, Aww. they have their own little pet names. Sweet. They come to her for attention and seem to really enjoy her petting them, which I just think is so sweet. You don't picture yeah. this with sharks. You don't. And that's what's so neat, you know. Yeah, very, very unique. And like I said, it's so important that we protect the sharks because we rely on them. She can see the different personalities and she notes that just like humans, they can have good days and not so good (laughs) Uh days. She compares her chain suit to like a beekeeper. So it's simply the barrier that removes the barrier between her and the sharks. 
And uh, she also does feed them, gives them treats. Okay. But yeah. she she said that's no different than if you were to give your, you know, train your dog. Right. To give right. them for good behaviors. I love that her parents raised her with an appreciation for water and oh. everything in it. Right. She's a firm believer that there are no monsters in the sea, only ones we create in our heads. That was her quote. And I, I love that. I guess some humans might be monsters, but as far as the animal world, I just don't, I don't think there are. Right. You just She's, don't understand them. We don't. We don't. She's educating anyone who will listen that these creatures need our respect and protection. They have a slow reproductive rate and mm. long pregnancies. How? I, I want to say it was like two years. Holy moly. I, yeah. Is that like elephants are kind of long I was. Gonna, I think they compared it to elephants, which okay. nine months was eternity for me. I know. So I, I think can't dogs imagine. are like six yeah. weeks or eight weeks. They're short. It's short. Oh, really? It's really short. Oh. I think it was like eight weeks. And eight. I no wonder wrong. they Don't always are me. talking about spaying and neutering your animals. Yeah. I think it's short. But but um, they have so they have a slow reproductive rate and long pregnancies. And combine that with the numbers that are being killed every year with modern fishing methods. You know, just like the hooks and those mouths or nets. Many types of species are in danger of becoming extinct. Delicacies like shark fin soup oh. only encourage the sharks are caught. And sometimes they just catch them, take the fin off, and toss them back in. Oh my goodness! So they're only they're only being harvested for that fin, and then they're just left to die, which I, just yeah. cruel. Often they're tossed back to die. Twelve states have outlawed harvesting or possession of shark fins, which Oregon is on that list. Yay for but Oregon! But honestly, only twelve. We have that's, a ways to go. That's yeah. That's not much. We've seen them as such scary creatures that this might not seem like a big deal. For them yeah. to just be, be treated this way. But the ocean's ecosystem depends on sharks. Remember, not all sharks are like jaws. The smallest shark, a lantern shark, can fit in your hand. She compared it to like a pen. Wow. She held a pen. She's like, that's a lantern shark. The largest shark, a whale shark, feeds on plankton. Wow, so yeah. it's not even going to you know, bother you at all. They're right. as docile as can be. These diverse creatures help keep our oceans healthy. And healthy oceans are vital for a healthy planet. Right. We're so all interconnected. All, we are. As we noted in uh, pod, you talked about in podcast twenty with Emily Penn, plastics are a serious problem for our oceans and the plants and wildlife that inhabit it. One video Christina films a deep sea cave where she finds all sorts of discarded and forgotten plastic. One item is a poncho. Weird. That's hundreds of miles yeah. away from anything in the ocean. Right. No civilization. And There's no. poncho. All of our choices affect our planet, good and bad. And that poncho belonged to someone at some point. And I think it'd be an interesting story for a kid's book. But I appreciate that Christine is doing what she can to share the ocean's struggle with our plastic consumption. Because yeah. we don't see it. And even last week when we did the, the beach cleanup, right. I was pleasantly surprised that there wasn't as much garbage on the beach as I was anticipating but then you did, you know, saw it knocked up on the shore, and then I just remembered that a lot of it's probably at the bottom. Right. It gets pulled back yeah. out into the yeah. ocean. Yeah. So we have a lot of work still. I admire that this woman's doing it all, literally mapping caves for ocean divers, preaching conservation, but I mostly admire that she genuinely loves these misunderstood creatures. If you watch her videos, you might believe that sharks do actually communicate with each other. <laughs> There's still so much for us to learn about this predator, but I love her authentic joy she expresses when she removes a hook from a shark's mouth. It's underwater, so yeah. obviously there aren't any words, but you can see in her body language just different, you know, sometimes she's doing the hang 10 oh, and just different cool. things. And it just makes you smile because she obviously 
is just elated yeah. helping these creatures. She's passionate about very, it. Very, very much so. Obviously, she can't save all the sharks, but I love that she focuses on trying to make their lives a little better, one at a time. It's a really sweet story, which isn't what you expect when you think of, no. of sharks. And I'm just thankful for people like Christina Zanotto out there educating and protecting our oceans. Um, it's another reminder of how much impact one person can have when they're passionate about something. Right. She was interviewed by the scuba company and it asked of all the accomplishments in your diving career, what are you most proud of? Yeah. And I loved this comeback. She said, what has always made me very proud has been seeing the change in people's eyes upon discovering the beauty of the ocean, realizing the true nature of sharks and learning about all the incredible details of our underwater world. But I'm even more proud when I see young girls I once taught become dive professionals carrying the torch forward. Aww. Many of them are now diving instructors and technical divers, and they each hold a little piece of me and my love for the ocean to share with others. And I just love yeah. that. It's girl power. It's total girl power, and it's sharing the knowledge, yeah. and then that's going to spread from each one of them, and it's just going to keep, keep growing, Yeah, which I love. My quote in this, she had it on her website, but it was a really good reminder from Madame Curie. Nothing in life is to be feared. It is only to be understood. Oh, yeah, that's really Total good. truth. Yeah. Just a couple fun things about sharks. Yeah. Um, July 14th, that we should have waited for this, is Shark Awareness Day. Okay. Um, is that during, I wonder if that's when Shark Week is, like on Animal Probably. Planet. My family I been, loves I used that. to love, I used to like. I'm, I know. Set the DVR, yeah, love I don't Shark watch Week, it. and now it's gotten to, yeah. I hope they go back to yeah. have it being like true scientists teaching us about sharks, but. 100 million sharks are killed a year, and many mm -hmm. of them are in danger, so we definitely need to work to protect the sharks. According to the Smithsonian, there are over 500 species. I think I read 509, so a lot of types of sharks. Right. I was reading about one, the cookie cutter shark, yeah. where it sounds very painful, but they do a, they attach to their prey and, like, cut out a little circle, and then they eat that. But wow. And it's, I'm sure, very painful for their prey, but at least their prey lives. Yeah. So they get their meal, and the prey, they don't die. So it's kind of kind of neat. The largest great white recorded, deep blue. Yeah. She weighs two tons. That's oh. 4,000 pounds. Holy moly. Can you imagine? I can't. Um, whale sharks. So I said that that was the one that feeds on plankton, they can be over 60 feet long. Oh, man. So that's 20 that's, feet longer than a school bus. Well, I was going to try to say, well, yeah. I'm glad you said that. Huge. That's a reference point. Well, okay. I, that's yeah. what I, I yeah. That's good. Um, Mako sharks are the most athletic. They said they they go around, they can go 40 miles per hour and jump 30 feet out of the air. Wow. You see them? They're very angular. I mean, they're. that's cool. I can see why. The great white's bite is more powerful than a lion or a tiger. Whoa. So they're just amazing creatures. Yeah. I, I just, I love learning about sharks. I was inspired by episode 19 where you talked about four oceans. Oh, yes. And I got, I wanted to show you my new bracelet oh, that I found on the beach. I love it. This one's a shark. It's shark so cool. One. So yeah, they are very, I just think they're fun. Good reminders. Well, I was just wondering, you know, is there other companies that, you know, are repurposing, like, mm -hmm. for oceans? And I found two companies that are upcycling waste. One company was started by a husband, Thomas Paul Atlas, or Atals, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. But he wanted to give his wife, for their 10th anniversary, tent, because that's the traditional gift. And he couldn't, <laughs> he couldn't find anything made of tent. So he, Weird. I, I know. Made out of tent. That's such a weird 
metal to choose for a celebration. But. Yeah. And so he was cooking dinner and cleaning out this can, and he had an idea. So he went into his garage, started hammering the tin, and made a pair of earrings and a bracelet. His wife was so impressed with the set, and he, he said, hey, let's start a company, Can Goods. And, I mean, she kind of was like, eh. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. And then time passed, but she kept receiving all these compliments. Mm-hmm. And then they decided to pitch it to a local retail store. We're on the, it was on the floor within a year later, mm-hmm. and Very it took cool. it took off from there. It's been in Oprah's O magazine. Oh wow! And then Elon Musk, mom May Musk, it was featured in D four mag wearing wearing his wearing, yes, wow, beautiful earrings. It's just so cool. And so they rescued used cans to create these beautiful works of mm-hmm. art. And on their website, I just love this quote. It says, "I I can do good. You can do good." We can do good together. I mean, it's so simple. But I just love, yeah, yeah, I just love yeah. the message. And they also donate one can of food to charity for every purchase. Oh my gosh, that is so awesome! It's that really, makes the company even better. I know. So I just, I just love the concept and the play on words as mm-hmm. their mission. But they have repurposed over ten thousand cans and given twenty cans away to charity since they began in 2013. 20 cans? 20,000. Okay, I was going to say. Man, they've only sold 20 pieces. Oh, sorry. I, I, pro- I probably <laughs> needed some coffee today. Yeah, 10,000 they've repurposed and 20,000 wow. they've given away. Wow. So impressive. I'm, I love upcycled stuff. Like I get compliments yeah. all the time on my necklace, and this oh, is an upcycled so, skateboard. Oh, really they cool. repurposed. Yeah. So I, love I just, that. I love upcycled anything. Uh, their website is cangoods.net. We'll have that up later on, on our, our website. website. Yeah. So check, check them out. out. They also yeah. had cool plant holders and these really neat cufflinks. I mean, really fun stuff. Especially for Mother's Day. Yeah. Maybe. The other yeah. company I read about was this Girlfriend Collective out of Seattle, Washington. It's another husband and wife team. Mm-hmm. Quan Ding and his wife, Ellie, founded the company. And they're creating like your favorite comfy black leggings out of RPET. Or our pet recycled polyester gathered from old water bottles. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's like melted down and yeah. made into like I made into a like a, a synthetic material. Yeah. So there, on average, there's like 25 water bottles per legging. That is isn't crazy. And they use natural dyes, and these leggings don't pill or stretch mm-hmm. or become baggy, which is you know yeah very very common key. problem with leggings. And leggings have become such a staple for yeah, most especially women. Especially with COVID. Yeah. People are for, saying that they're for they just every day. Yeah. Them. They're completely opaque, which is also kind of important too. Mm-hmm. They come in a bunch of fun colors. They even have some sports bras and other tops. I love their website because their models are very diverse. Mm-hmm. They're in all sorts of different shapes and sizes. Like the real world. Real world. And yeah. different different races. Yeah. It's just it's I love it. Once again, like the you know, a cutout of the real world. Exactly, and then, I wonder if they last longer because it is out of water bottle material. You know, I don't know. That's a good question. I yeah. don't think they would, but yeah. anyway. And this is really cool. Each clothing item on the website has a sustainability report. Mm-hmm. They call it the re girlfriend. So <laughs> each, like, if you look up a pair of leggings, it's going to say. How many water bottles were diverted mm-hmm. from landfills? Which you know, makes you feel it good. ranges from twenty five to twenty nine, yeah. and then it's like CO two prevented from going out into mm-hmm. the atmosphere. Which just reminds you that your little choice of buying something exactly can make it an impact. And then they also say the say what energy was saved. 
But there's mm-hmm. each item has this really cool little report. So that you know exactly how you're helping. So you can purchase from their website at girlfriend.com. So I think it's really cool. I'm yeah. going to go check it out. Yeah, me too. So we got our Friday for the future protest. Right. Yeah, just, although we, we have to do that we again. We didn't get arrested. We, we didn't get arrested. We did get attention we from did. the police officers waving yeah. at us, which was exciting. But... Um, so we got the protest. We, um, I'm excited for our food drive, yeah. which we're going to do on Mother's Day. Going to be Mother's Day, May 9th. Yay. And we're just, we're doing it for the hour. We're going to, you know, put stuff out on social media for people to drop off food. And then my girlfriend's going to take it to the Oregon Food Bank, which I'm super excited about. But it would be fun to see maybe pictures or get people to email us anything because, yeah. If they want to do it in their towns, because right. hunger's, you It'd know. It'd be a great thing for on Mother's Day. I think do. so. All over the country. All over the world. All over the world, exactly. Nobody can go back and start a new beginning, but anyone can start today and make a new ending. Maria Robinson. Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.